I was like, oh, if we win this thing, I'll I'll drop out of uni and we'll, you know, because I want to give this Iron Sky thing a proper <laughs> a proper nudge and thinking wow. that there's no way this is. Yeah, there's no way that's going to happen. <laughs> Introverts, extroverts, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Chelsea Heaney, and I'm very excited about our guest today. In 2014, my guest and his best mate, Nick, had the idea to stick a washing machine and a dryer in the back of a van and take it to the streets, helping the homeless of their home city in Brisbane. They now have a fleet of over 30 vans with hundreds of volunteers all around Australia and New Zealand. In 2016, they were named the Young Australians of the Year and just a few months ago received the Order of Australia Medal. Please welcome to the show one of the co-founders of Orange Sky, Lucas Patchett. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here, Lucas. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Orange Sky? Absolutely. So Orange Sky, you touched on it there, but it was a really crazy idea um, just over five years ago now between my best mate Nick and I. To, and what we wanted to do was really find a way to improve the hygiene standards for people who are doing it tough. That idea for us was seeded throughout high school in the school that we went to actually ran a food van and that um, food van was out on the streets feeding people breakfast who who were experiencing homelessness. So from the oh, age of cool. 15, um, Nick, or I, Nick and I both had sort of that experience of, and I can remember the first time going out being mind blown that you know, just around the corner from where I went to school, there were mm. people sleeping on the streets and, and doing it really, really tough. So yeah. really wanted to find a way to re-engage that part of our brain. So after we left school, we left that left that sort of part of our life behind us. So wanted to find a way to get back into that, but to, um, yeah, to re-engage that part of our brain, get our mates involved as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, dreamt up this idea and, and sort of after chatting to a few people saw that hygiene was something that had really been overlooked and yeah. we thought we could maybe give a give a crack, give a crack out, have a crack out and, and see how it went. And, um, yeah, so you touched on there, but Nick and I, got two washers, two dryers donated from this company. We had an old van, we fitted it all out and then, um, yeah, hit the streets and started washing and drying clothes and, and it then started to really snowball um, from there. So, yeah, that's how the really Orange Coast started and, and it's yeah, evolved and snowballed, as I said, into um, what it is now. And you touched on there, 30-odd 30, 30 vans across Australia and New Zealand, over 2,000 volunteers, you know, pre-COVID levels, um, washing and drying over 10 tonnes of washing every week, doing over 200 safe hot showers and... Um, most importantly, most simply, what we talk about is that um, the washing in the showers is really a magnet for drawing people together. It's um, mm. the conversations that take place on, on the vans and whilst they're, they're happening, there's the magic and, and there's 1,500 hours of conversation that take place in a normal week um, on, on Orange shares and that's where the yeah the magic of, of Orange Go happens. Yeah. That's so awesome. And we'll, we will talk more about sort of those conversations and the effect that you have on the, the community around Australia. Um, but I want to talk more about sort of how you guys got it started. You were only 20 years old. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. I was, I was 20 and Nick was 19, I think. Yeah. So how on earth did you get a company to to volunteer to donate those machines to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting question. And and Carolyn, who's the the managing director of that company, or the, the old managing director of that company, um, she often talked about you know those initial phases of you know what inspired her to, to be a part of it. And, and Nick mm-hmm. and I initially were talking to a sales guy at this company, um, and we said you know we've got this 
we've got this sort of vision and we, we've got this van and we need some machines to fit in there because we don't just want to get, you know, just standard sort of domestic machines because we yeah. think that take too long and we really want higher sort of standards and, and whatnot. So we're talking to commercial laundromat supplies company. And so started talking to them about um, about different options and, and this sales guy was talking about, you know, thousands of dollars a month in leasing and if we break the machines, I have to pay these crazy excesses and it was just simply Nick and I were funding the whole thing and out yeah. at this point. So this was just simply out of reach. And um, so then we sort of threw one last lifeline out there. We said, you know, is there someone a bit higher up we can talk to about sponsorship or is there, you know, anything else that we can do to, to really help to try and get some some support behind this? And they said, well, just happened that's a family owned but nationwide organization based in mm-hmm. Brisbane, which not many not many sort of big organizations are. And it just kind of worked out that way that you know, we teed up a meeting with the managing director, walked in and talked about our, our dream to, to um to build this mobile laundry and support people doing it tough. And they had a few key questions. One was they didn't think the machines would actually technically work in the van. They had some challenges around that. And two, and they're like, well, are people actually going to wash and dry their clothes in a park? Like, is there yeah. is there a demand for this service? And mm-hmm. we really took them on that journey about us, our experience throughout high school and having chatted mm-hmm. to a few more people. And, and um, they decided to take a punt with us. And, and yeah, Carolyn, who, who's the managing director I, I spoke about before, she often talks about, you know, it was a... It was a it was a punt from their perspective, and and their biggest question in all this was around Nick and I, and and you know how do they know that you know we're legit, and how they know we're going to keep pushing through the challenges, and how to yeah. how you know, we're going to have that drive, and it was definitely a punt, but I, I suppose it you know, we're incredibly grateful that they they took it, and they're still one of our big supporters to this yeah. day. And I mean, they you clearly proved to them that you know you were in it for the long haul because you're still around. Um, can you tell us about the first time you actually took the van out to the streets? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a story I think about a lot. Is that um, we'd finally you know been through a bit of started to go through all the process. We started registering ABN. We got insurance. And I remember just before, you know, as we we're kind of building the vehicle, Nick's mum was like, "You guys need to get before you go out. Just make sure you have insurance. You know, as long as you've got that, then at least you can, you know, be, um, at least you can, I suppose, have it, have some coverage if anything does go wrong." Mm-hmm. And okay, Julie noticed. So we did that and emptied out emptied out a bank in on on the first insurance policy and and um, went through the vehicle bill. We sort of had it all done up. The, the van looked really nice. The challenge we did have, though, is that the vehicle needed a really special type of power to operate, and we hadn't got a generator yet. So we had this mm-hmm. van all built out, but we actually didn't know if it worked because we couldn't plug <laughs> it in anywhere. Um, anyway, we convinced a, convinced a hire company to give us a, a generator um, and attach that all up, and then we said, well, now we've got it. Let's just go give it a crack. So we went out to the streets alongside our old school food van and that, you know, one of those places that's um has a lot of memories for us in in terms of mm-hmm. at school and, and now with iron sky and um turned up and i can remember nick nick was i was in charge of setting the van up nick was in charge of finding some washing so i started setting everything up turn the power on the water on and there's one little final switch to flick in the van nick had found some washing there's a guy jordan you know maybe 10 years older than me mm-hmm. a couple of t-shirts a couple of boardies in his backpack and he was ready to be the first ever wash it's like yeah this is coming together perfectly yeah Anyway, I jumped in the van, flicked the final switch and heard this massive bang. It turned out we'd broken both the machines. <laughs> and it said CE on the screen. I still remember looking at it, it said CE. I was like, what does that mean? Called the called the washing machine company and like critical error. It means you've broken both the machines. I told you that this would work. 
anyway, so we're like, okay, well, we convinced them to give us a couple more machines. Went out, reinstalled those. The old, old, the new ones. Took the um, old ones back out the next morning. Same time, same place. And Jordan was there once again. Turned everything on, and we blew it up again. And we're like, had this massive this moment of challenge. It was like, you know, is this something that's actually going to work? Um, and you know, how do, how are we going to get through this? And mm-hmm. and it's one of those I think really defining moments when when we look back on sort of the Orange Sky journey and as a moment where we said, well. You know, we'd actually come to the same park at the same time and there were people there who were interested and, and keen to see us. And, and Jordan, you know, who was willing to give us his only possessions in the world once again to try and watch. And and um, it kind of really reiterated to us the, the power that this service could potentially have if we could get it right. So, um, and, and also after, you know, meeting Jordan, we'd found he'd been let down by so many different organisations, so many yeah. different people in his life that you know, we wanted to... Um, try a bit to not be added to that long list of people. So, yeah, yeah we hit, again, convinced Carolyn to give us a couple more washing machines and, and um, for whatever reason she agreed and, and gave us, went out, changed a few things. We had to change the power and the water setup that we were using and then, um, yeah, hit the streets again the third morning and same time, same park, same place, and there was Jordan. And so we went through the whole thing again, set everything up, turned everything on, and it all worked perfectly. It's so like, good. Well, finally, you know, we'd gotten to this goal that we'd been focused on. But then we also had this moment of realisation that that was the only thing we'd been focused on. It was like, how do we get this van to actually work? And once it did work, like, what are we going to do? So um, (laughs) it was really simple. Jordan and I just started having a chat. And, um, yeah, I often think about and talk about that chat being one of the defining moments of my life, but also for for Orange Sky. And that Jordan, as I said before, was about 10 years older than me. He went to school just up the road from me. He studied the same university as me. He studied the exact same degree as me, but yet he was sleeping on the streets. And I remember you know, this guy, you know, worked as an engineer at some big companies around Brisbane and you know, had done um, quite well, but just didn't have that family support network behind him, had yeah. you know, fallen on a few wrong decisions and a few um, bad luck calls and, and found himself sleeping on the streets. And there was this moment where it was like, crap this guy's just like me and such a similar family background such a similar um schooling and education background but yet totally different and yeah. totally polar opposite situations so that really that story and that moment i think really drives a lot of my motivation still to this day and i, I think about that, that a lot and we tell, we tell that story a lot as well yeah i think that's it's such a big thing a you know that you guys had that that motivation to keep pushing through because a lot of people would have given up if not the first time the machines didn't work then maybe the second time but that you guys pushed through but I think you know that defining moment of of finding out about Jordan finding out he had such a similar life to you because I think a lot of people sort of generalize homeless people and thinking that that they put themselves in that situation they're nothing like me I'm never going to be like that but you just don't know what any of those people have been through until you sit down and talk with them like like you guys do absolutely yeah it's a big it's a big thing part of what we do now is is telling stories and trying to challenge some of those stereotypes because yet yeah, some um, homelessness is such a broad and such a complex issue that mm. affects so many different people in so many different ways and yet it can be sometimes stigmatized into five people that you might walk past on your way to work or um you might see on in, in the news or, or whatnot. So, yeah, I think it's um, a much broader challenge than that um, across across the country. Yeah. 
Um, so you had that first van. How long was it until you got a second van and this sort of started to become something bigger? Yes, and thinking about that that sort of phase, so that first wash happened in October 2014, and, and I remember at that time we didn't even have our charitable registration approved yet. It had all been submitted, but, you know, had to go through the, the relevant um, bureaucracies and whatnot to get, get signed off. So we'd kind of just been um, ticking along as we had an ABN and all that stuff registered but didn't have um, the specific tick off and, and they can backdate it thankfully so any any support we received was um, could be tax deductible donated yeah. and generated back but then yeah maybe six weeks into our first into that van operating um, we got a random email into our just in info um, email account and said um, hey Nick and Lucas really love the work you're doing would love to know when you've got your charitable status received and let's catch up. Like, oh, it's kind of a strange email, but let's let's do it. And and um, this is early 2015, so a couple of months after we'd launched, um, we're out on and we met this this um, this lady and she came out and shift with us. And we you said, you know, what a what a chance to meet. You might as well come out and shift and and um, see the work that we do do firsthand. And you know, this lady um, came out and we're just hanging out as a normal shift. There's people getting around. There's people doing washing, having a feed and, and whatnot. And there's you know, a lot of um, just yeah, good, you know, typical sort of orange guy, guy shift and chatting with this lady and showing around the van and introducing to a few people. And, and she said, after about an hour, she was like, oh, you know, I've got this family foundation and I've got a few key focus areas and, you know, we'd love to see if we can support something for you guys. And she was like, what do you guys want? And we're like, oh, we want a second van. She pulled out a checkbook and wrote us a check right then and, and handed over. Wow. And said, go, go do it. Go make it happen. And and from there, it was like this aha or another almost holy crap moment of like, okay, well, now we're going to have two vans. So what does that mean? We need to figure out how do we get volunteers running this van without us being out every morning or every second mm-hmm. morning making the van run. How do we actually go buy a brand new van and register it and, and go through all the, the process of, of getting that and how do we choose the location that we're going to take it to and then how do we you know, take it to that location and start to establish a regular service and whatnot um, in that location. So that was a definitely a massive learning experience that happened you know, just a couple of months after the first mm-hmm. van and then um, the third van happened, actually the same lady paid for it um, about six months after that, so probably middle of 2015, and and that was an even bigger jump because we took that van to Victoria, um, in, into yeah. Melbourne, and, and that was a even because it was you know the second van we trialled up in Cairns for a short period, but then went down to the Gold Coast, and then so that was still relatively close, um, but mm-hmm. then you're heading into Melbourne was a totally different experience, and you know a lot of things happening at night. There was it was cold, so we needed to get hoodies for, for our volunteers. I'm from Melbourne, so I'm aware of yeah, what cold yes. it is. So all yeah. the, all these little things that you probably don't think of initially, but um the key things we were looking at was yeah, how do we get volunteers to really run the service without relying on, on Nick and I um yeah. being a part of it every day. Yeah. And um speaking of, you know, you've got multiple vans. Your your OG van, I believe, is called Sudsy. Yep. Uh, and you've got plenty of other names. You've got Bubbles and Frosty, and each van has a unique name. Yep. Who gets to name the vans? How do they get? Great question. Um, <laughs> the vans get named in lots of different ways. I think one is just if we think a name's funny or it's kind of cool, like Sudsy or Bubbles, um, some of them have a bit more meaning. So, um, for instance, the Carolyn, who I shared the story of, at the moment, she's got a name, a van named after her up in Townsville. It's named Kaz. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's other ones, so different people. So the lady who supported those first couple of vans um, is a lady by the name of Carol Jelly, and she's 
I've um, got a couple of vans named after her, Jelly, Jellyfish, Jelly Baby, um, a few <laughs> fun, fun names like that. So, yeah, it's really, I suppose, up to us at the end of the day. Some some communities we have work with, like our our um, community up in um, in Palm Island. We've got um, the Palm Island band's been named by the local elders up there. So, yeah, it's these um, really collaborative effort between Orange Sky, the donor, and the community that we're heading into as well, and, and it um, can be, yeah, across all those different different phases that can be named. So yeah, lots of fun names, lots of um, really sentimental names and, and lots of everything in between. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about what you said is the most important part of Orange Sky, which is those six orange chairs and, and those conversations. You guys made a very conscious decision to refer to the people you're helping as friends rather than, say, clients or, or visitors. How did that decision come about and why is that important to you? Yeah, absolutely. It was one of the, and looking back again, it was one of those really like, seems like a tiny moment in time, but yeah, looking back at, and now seeing, you know, 2000 of our volunteers who all use the same language. And um, it was literally, we were, <clears throat> Nick and I were just starting up with Sadzi. We'd gone and how we, our operational model, how it still works today is that we partner up alongside other different organisations. So we don't just turn up at a park and provide washing. We turn up at a location with someone who's providing food or a bigger centre that might have housing or healthcare support or um, other That's wraparound awesome. services. It's really a collaborative approach. One of our key values is called uh, is collaborative partnerships. That's a really important, important thing for us. And I remember Nick and I, we'd taken Sudsy down to a few different spots to chat to some service providers in Brisbane about, you know, let's find some time to operate a shift and let's sort of get it going going that way and every one we went to people were talking about their clients or their customers or their patrons and and Nick and I was came back after a day of doing that and we're sitting in Nick's kitchen and we're like yeah, how can how can like we just come up with a better term for this because every time we hear those words um, it sort of makes us like cringe a little cringe bit a little, yeah not a it's not a very like equal like what what we firmly believe is around everyone's made the same stuff and you know, treated yeah. everyone equally and, and all those sorts of things. And it created this really interesting power dynamic um, yeah. that we, we didn't like. So we said, started thinking about what could we call it? And we came up with a few, few different things. But then I think we said, let's, why don't we call it Friends of Our Own Sky? And then that the, of Our Own Sky just kind of got dropped off at some point and it just turned yeah. into friends. And, and now looking, like I said, looking back and seeing that sort of minute moment, but now seeing it utilized by all of our volunteers and and you know it's so cool to hear when we get when we talk to our volunteers and when we hear from our, our volunteers um them using that same terminology it's one of my favorite parts of the training session is that it's probably the fourth or fifth slide in a, every um what's called our orientation training so uh, <laughs> inductions for our new volunteers it goes up on the slide it says we're not fans of the c word but we love the f word and <laughs> It gives everyone a giggle, but also makes it pretty memorable for, for people yeah. to you know, throw clients and customers out and, and really focus on friends. Yeah. Uh, do you ever have, you know, people come and, and be a bit apprehensive or hesitant to let you guys do their washing or to sit down and have a chat, but sort of keep showing up anyway or walking yeah, past? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a, a challenge that we've um, seen in the past and, and still would see in some of the newer areas we operate and. Um, you know, especially when we're first starting up, there's a lot of apprehension about, you know, are you guys from a religious de denomination or, you know, what am I going to have to sign up to or what I have to do to yeah. really trying to build that trust of, 
hey, we're just here, we're just volunteers, we're just trying to give it a crack and trying to support people, um, you know, with with washing and a, and a yarn, and and that um, especially for people who are experiencing homelessness and who um, you know, might have been um, stuffed over by life and might have had a really rough trot and really really struggled throughout the life, especially in the last period of their, their life. I think mm. um, it, it can be a a tough thing to to build that trust, but yeah, one thing that would that Orange has definitely built on is that trust now. So um, now having a a really solid spread of services across the country, people do thankfully know a little bit more about us and might have experienced us if they're in Sydney but they've been in Melbourne before they might have um, had that crossover at some point so they can you know vouch for the volunteers and and, and those sorts of things so yeah it's definitely a um, I think one of the one of the stories we we love sharing is um, there's a fellow Nev who was one of the first guys we washed clothes for in Brisbane and, and he's still you know involved with Orange Guy Day he actually works for us now time in our in our warehouse and does all our screen printing of our orange guy t-shirts and hoodies and, and whatnot and nev talks about the first time you know he saw an orange guy van he was very apprehensive and very sort of subdued and and he um walked up and didn't say anything kind of just observed for the first couple of weeks and then the third week he went up and grabbed a pair of socks and then probably it was about six or eight weeks before he actually did his washing um kind of seeing that we were there every week we built up that trust the same volunteers were there every week and they were super engaging and non-judgmental and, and those sorts of things. So, yeah, it was this um, sum of all these little parts that really built that trust. And I think you know, we now see that in our shifts all around the country um, every yeah. day. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to bring up as well is obviously in the current climate, um, it's a bit better now, but in the last few months, you know, everyone's been experiencing what isolation feels like. And that's something that, you know, homeless people go through pretty much every day because you know a lot of people are apprehensive to talk to them because they don't know much about them do you think that coming out of this people in general are going to be more open to starting conversations with strangers whether they're homeless or not yeah i think it's a really interesting point i think um the social isolation or um, disconnection is something that that everyone's experienced in in some form over the last little while so I think, yeah, it's what comes of that. I'm, I'm probably not sure exactly what the, what the ingredients are in, in that. I think what, but what I think does come from that is there's um, empathy that can be built from that, from that experience. So if it is mm-hmm. that you were, you know, um, self-isolating and, and, you know, could only see one or two people at a time and, and really limited that, that social interaction that you had, I think, um, yeah, that's still a step ahead of a lot of people that didn't have a safe place to self-isolate or didn't have that community to, to really lean on. But but I think what it does do, and, and I know personally what it, what it really um, taught me was how much I do thrive and need that social connection to yeah. um, maintain my, um, you know, a good headspace and, and all those sort of positive things that come from that. And I think if if... At, at a minimum, all we can take from that is a little bit of empathy and that you know, someone who is on the streets and chatting to um, Kieran Lyons, who, who's one of the um, guys who just went through the filthy rich and homeless experience and, mm-hmm. and talked about, you know, one of the things after you know, just 12 hours was just a human conversation that he was absolutely just um, striving for. It's what he just needed was, you know, so many people would just ignore him, not look at him, not and just walk past him and, and yeah. uh, that opportunity just for someone to say good day and, and acknowledge you and that's something we talk about a lot is just acknowledging someone and saying saying good day can be you know, so much better than than just yeah. and ignoring so yeah I think if we can pull a little bit of that empathy out from 
what everyone's been to in the last little while and, and try and apply that to if it is someone who's doing it tough or someone you know you're just walking past on, on the streets I think it can be um yeah, it can be a well can be a better place yeah and I think um you know you mentioned earlier that you guys were sort of looking for a, a way to help people and you you chose sort of the laundry because it was something that was sort of a bit overlooked and I think it is a really smart way to help people because you know a lot of the time if you're walking down the street maybe you you see somebody you know you've got some loose change and and you give them that loose change and then you walk around the corner and there's somebody else but you don't have any more loose change because you gave it to the last person and um you know you guys have found a way to help multiple people you know through something physical like the the washing but also those those conversations um which i just it's brilliant (laughs) and um yeah uh, I was wondering if you, you you talked a bit about Nev before, but I was wondering if you could share with us any stories of of some of the the people you've you've met um, through Orange Sky, some of your friends. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a massive list of yeah. list of people, and and like I said at the start, sort of in pre COVID COVID times, in normal times, we mm. see about 1,500 hours of conversation taking place every week around Australia. So yeah. Many, so many stories, so many memories that are really um, that are created, and and that's the cool thing about being a part of Orange Sky now is that there's all these things that are happening, you know, without even us us knowing or, or hearing about. So, um, so there is that. But I, I, one that jumps out at me is a lady over in Perth <clears throat> that we met when we were there, maybe 18 months or so ago, by the name of Lizzie, and and Lizzie, you know, we um, were lucky enough to film some of her her experience, and and Lizzie talked about. You know, she was 15 when she was kicked out of her home by her parents and um, forced onto the streets. And you know, she was now 25, so she'd spent 10 years mm. on the streets and, and really um, had a had a pretty pretty rough trot. And it was heading into Christmas time, and we were asking her about, you know, what was what was the experience like being on the streets and and um, throughout Christmas time, which is all about family and connection. And she you know, got understandably quite quite emotional and, and shared that you know like like I said she hadn't com- talked to any of her family for 10 years she'd been you know, on the streets and Christmas was all about family and, and bringing people together mm. so it was a really really tough time of year for her and and you know for her spending 10 Christmases in a row um, out in the streets was, was a really tough time and so yeah we sort of met her and, and heard her story and then maybe three months later it was actually just before Christmas because I think we met her in about August um, we'd Got a really excited call from from one of our team members over in Perth, and um, she was like, "Guys, guys, guys, got the got the most amazing news ever." Um, Lizzie kept coming to our shift at um, we're set up at a big a big um, community centre in the south of Perth, and um, kept coming to our shift, and eventually engaged with the service provider inside, and and they've managed to find us some, find us some housing. And now that um, Lizzie's been able to make those connections, she's now moved into some supported accommodation and it's going to be her first Christmas in um, with a roof over her head in 10 years. And, oh, and wow. It was, yeah, just one of those moments where you sort yeah. of think, like, you know, for our little part of that, it's Orange Sky um, linking up with this other service provider and providing those clean clothes as a magnet for drawing people in, but then mm-hmm. those conversations that can and those relationships that build that can lead to um, an introduction into a social worker or, you know, an introduction to a person who's providing food or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and these little ripple effects can really ripple out and affect people's lives um, forever. So I think that's, um, yeah, definitely one that I think about a lot is um, you know, someone like Lizzie and, and how many times that's, that's happened around the country is, is a really cool thing to think about. Yeah. Um, now I mentioned in the little introduction uh 
that you and Nick uh, were Young Australian of the Year a few years ago. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about and what the experience was like? Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild experience. We um, sort of as a, gave a bit of the timeline before, but we were just really pushing on with with Orange Sky. We by the end of 2015, we had when the sort of nomination came through, and um, we had four vans and a couple in Victoria, a couple in Queensland, and we were just kind of plodding plodding along. And we'd started to get a bit more interest and started to get a bit more support. So we were ramping up our speed in terms of you know where Orange Sky was operating, and and we put our fifth van into Sydney in sort of November that year and, and around that time was the Queensland um, celebration and how it works is you do like a state-based celebration and everyone, there's a recipient select and then they go to a national selection and the same thing happens at a national national level and we, so we went through the Queensland Awards and we're kind of like, you know, there's some really impressive people in, in these awards and we're just, you know, two blokes, two idiots who've got, got a couple of orange vans kicking around with some volunteers driving them and we're still figuring it out as we go along. We're 20, mm-hmm. 21 at that stage, 20, um, and just kind of kicking along and, and seeing seeing how um, how things would pan out. And went to the Queensland Awards, lucky enough to receive that award, and um, heading to Canberra in, in for Australia Day in 2016. And we're like, well, this is pretty pretty crazy. You know, I was still at uni full time. I was still working on the side, and Orange Sky was this really just passion project that was happening. Nick similar for Nick, and um, I can remember we're heading down to Canberra. I think it was two days before I said to Nick, I was like, oh, if we win this thing, I'll I'll drop out of uni and we'll, you know, because I want to give this Orange Sky thing a proper <laughs> a proper nudge. And, you know, and Nick was like, I'll do the same thing, but I'll quit my job and we'll, you know, go full-time into into Orange Sky. And mm-hmm. it was like full-time volunteers. We'd still no plan around any, any of the other stuff. It's just like, let if we do win this, we'll, we'll make a, um, a good nudge out of it, thinking wow. that. There's no way this is. Yeah, there's no way it's gonna happen. There's all these incredible um, other people in the young Australian category and from all around the country and, and all these sorts of things. Anyway, so we went through the awards process and then they called our name out on stage and it was another one of those aha, holy crap moments. What do we do now? And then it was just for the next 12 months, it was really just a um, an amazing opportunity for for not only for Nick and I, not only for Orange Sky, but I think more broadly for for homelessness to really have a big spotlight, a big focus for um, us yeah. to almost be the spokespeople for that for, for a little while, um, be the spokespeople for disconnection and, and isolation. We don't play in the advocacy space and what we do play in is, is getting on and doing stuff and, and letting people um, see that and, and, and come along for the journey with us. So, um, yeah, it was a really amazing opportunity. We often talk about it, put us into a bit of a spin cycle. We went from four vans and about 250 volunteers to about, I think it was 11 vans and 700 volunteers, so almost tripled wow. in size in a 12-month period. And it was kind of this, um, but then after that, set us on the trajectory that, you know, for the next couple of years after that, we added eight or nine vans a year for, for the next couple of years as well. So really set this trajectory of growth and excitement yeah. and, and um, ability for us to scale quite quickly to bring more impact to, to people. So, yeah, it was a... Um, an amazing experience, a pretty surreal experience, and and um, Nick and I both dropped out, or well, I dropped out of uni. Nick quit his job, and we haven't <laughs> gone back to either since. So it was a, another one of those turning points that you kind of look back on, uh, back on, and and um, yeah, those aha moments, I think. Yeah. Um, now, like you said, that was about four years ago, and it's it's brought you to where you are today. Um, and it was just a few weeks ago, I believe, that you were presented with the Order of Australia medal. Uh, can you tell us about that? <laughs> Yeah, another another one of those pretty surreal um, things is you kind of get a letter in the mail one day and it's like, oh, you know, you've been um, 
selected and, and you've been nominated and selected for an Order of Australian Medals. Kind of unpacking a little bit more about what that looks like and, and yes, I had the ceremony last week actually at, at Government, Government House in Queensland and in Brisbane and, and um, yeah, had it was a bit of a different ceremony in the sense that it was also yeah. different and limited numbers and, and different things like that but still another surreal experience in, you know, Nick and I now have letters after our name, which I never thought I'd have. And, yeah, exactly. Um, Everywhere you go, got to write yeah, who I am after. Little, yeah, little things like that. That's um, yeah, pretty surreal. But I think, you know, similar to the Young Australian of the Year, similar to this this award, it's really um, it's a really humbling and almost Nick and I feel guilty sometimes in that mm. you know, we're just the idiots again who started this thing, and, and now there's thousands of people that make it happen every week. And if that's our volunteers, if that's our, our donors, or if that's the people that trust us with our only possessions, um, or our team here in Brisbane that um, support support all that happening, I think it's. Yeah, this we often talk about this kind of tree that you look at and you look at this big tree and it's all grown, all these branches have sort of branched out and, and it's now this big overwhelming tree and where does the guys who planted the seed and now there's lots of people that caretake on different branches and, and look yeah. after it and um, so yeah, it's a it's acknowledgement of all the um, all that hard work, I think, all in all in one, which is um, a pretty cool pretty cool situation for us to, to be in. Yeah. I wanted to ask you as well, um, you know, I was sort of thinking about this, like, you know, you get a medal like that, you know, it's not like a, a statue or whatever, like, what what do you do with the medal itself? Where have you got it? Like, you know, I feel like that's a question people ask when, when they get an Oscar, you know, what have you done with it itself? Yeah, it's, a, it's funny, it like comes in this really nice box and there's kind of four like variations of the same medals, I think, for different occasions. So there's like a lapel pin that you'd wear to like formal events and then there's yeah. the bigger medal that's kind of like a military medal size. I don't know how to compare it apart from saying that. Um, yeah. that you wear it like a, I don't know, a really formal formal function that you'd, you'd have to, um, where you're potentially being presented with another similar similar award. So, yeah, I think it's interesting interesting one that Nick and I don't wear jackets. Maybe we wear a jacket once a year, so that'll <laughs> get dusted off once a year and then the other ones I might just sit in the box as a pretty cool piece of memorabilia. But... Um, yeah, so I don't, don't have a thought that far, far ahead. Probably not losing it's going to be my biggest challenge because I do yeah. have a tendency to lose. Um, yeah. like that. So really probably so putting, like, putting in a special place and maybe putting in, the, um, putting in a frame or something like that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, not so long ago, you guys expanded over to New Zealand. Can you talk a little bit about what started that decision and is it different how Orange Sky runs over there compared to here in Australia? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think um, what where that started really started from is that <clears throat> we know that we've got the keys to this thing that can really really help people, and and we want to be a part in one way or another. If that's just giving people the blueprint or the keys to doing it themselves, or if that's being on the forefront of doing it um, on behalf of different different countries, we know we want to be a part of that um, well into the future, all across the world. So <clears throat> New Zealand we saw as a very logical first step in terms of trialing you know some international expansion and seeing you know what was the impact on our australian team what was the impact how difficult was it how um challenging is it once it's up and running all these sorts of questions that we wanted to figure out from a international expansion perspective um to yeah see 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 how those things would would land essentially so um we started that uh, we made that decision started 2018 we're like let's let's launch in new zealand this year let's give it a red hot crack and let's start investing a bit more time and, and energy into um, making making new zealand come to life so sort of this next nine months was 
everything from registering, you know, finding the funding, um, all those different things like that, to um, finally nailing it and, and landing on where we where we were um, going to launch. We found some funders. We found all the different things and and hit the street and launched the, built the van over here, sent it over on a ship, and and I think there's a lot of nervousness initially around. Well, you know, there's a lot of apprehension around. Australians coming into New Zealanders, New Zealand being like the knights in shining armour and, and you know, coming mm-hmm. in, we definitely don't want to take that approach. We take an approach in every community, whether it be here in Australia or in, or in New Zealand, that we take a collaborative approach with the community in building you know, what the service could look like, what the service should look like, how do we really make it localised because even in Australia, the difference between Brisbane, Melbourne and Perth and Port Macquarie, um, everything yeah. is very different. So you do need to take that take that localised approach. So we took the same approach there. Um, but I think what it boiled down to is that our key key things, our key values that we approach everything with is that you know people um, people are all made of the same stuff and you treat people right. And I think that yeah, when you boil that down, that transcends all boundaries be it cultural or be it um national you know border boundaries it, it really can cut through all that that stuff and i think um so we it does look a little bit different in that you know it says ataroa on the t-shirts and it says new zealand on the side of the vans and it um you know there's a few different different things mm-hmm. like that but ultimately it's it's about connecting it's about having conversations about sharing stories and yeah those stories are different those faces are different those volunteers are different um but it's um comes down to that that key thing which which doesn't change and I think that's what the whole thing taught me was that through all those different challenges and through all the different um, cultural differences and things like that it's it's when you boil it down that's that's what it simply is and, and that's where we'll keep coming back to I think yeah and do you guys have plans to obviously after COVID uh, go even further internationally yeah we're we're still we're currently in the process of working out what exactly that looks like and. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we get on say on average, we get five requests a week from somewhere around the world, um, saying, "Hey, we want to bring this to Chile or Argentina or yeah. or to the US." And, and there's so many different um, places and and spots that we know that there's demand for this. And the challenge we have is really one prioritizing those, but also two figuring out exactly what it looks like. Is that do we want an orange sky in Argentina, or do we just want to? help someone set up an equivalent over there and, and we yeah. have like exactly now what that that looks like so um we're hoping to to really build that out over the next little while to to, to help guide that decision and, uh, and definitely covid's put a put a brakes put the brakes on those um, yeah. as well so yeah um and another thing you've done recently is launched your orange sky pods rather than your vans that hold sort of more washers and dryers and, and can sort of take you further. What was the the push behind behind those? Yeah, so it's, it's a really similar model in the sense that, you know, it's still an asset that's got washing machines, dryers on it. It's got three washers, three dryers, but instead of being on four wheels, we have them um, sort of semi-installed at different locations around around the place. So they can yeah. be picked up and, and moved if we need to, um, but trying to keep keep that responsiveness to um, delivering services uh, through through the pod. So, but essentially what it, what it came down to is that we're looking for a more cost-effective way to deliver our services in smaller communities that don't necessarily have the spread. So say in um, Sydney, we go, you know, or in every every community, not to, not to pick a specific one, we travel a radius of maybe 50 kilometres um, mm-hmm. from 
from the center um, so say um, so yeah travel about a, a 50 kilometer radius and but in a place like say Mackay where the, the first couple of pods have gone up is that we found our van up there was only going to three different spots yeah. and two of them were quite close and the other one was you know about half an hour away so what we said was well why don't we replace the van um, and the van's still operational up there at the moment as well because we're I'm still working through exactly what it looks like, but um, the two, why don't we replace the van with two pods and then that's a cheaper solution, but then that also frees that van up to go to another. Yeah, go somewhere we, else. Yeah, we can provide more impact. So, yeah, it's really a looking at, because that's sort of the space where now, now that we've got the 30-odd vans around the country, a lot of smaller communities are asking, you know, how do we get a van there um, and how do we keep continue to fund it on an ongoing basis in, in our community and, and we want to provide a bit more of a cost-effective um, option for um, some of those communities whilst we um, still all operate them all collectively but want to um, yeah, find that sort of ha harmony between small, big cities and how many vans in different areas and what we're yeah. really focused on is driving as much efficiency from an impact perspective as we can and, and getting the best, you know, making sure our, our donors getting the best bang for their buck in terms of the impact that we're providing and, and that the pod is an enabler of, of that. So yeah, we expect to see that um, happening in a few different communities um, over the next little while and just um, want to trial it and give it the time it needs in Mackay first. Yeah. Uh, we're getting close to the end here, and I feel like I probably should have asked you this at the start, but uh, why Orange Sky? Where'd the name come from? Yeah, it's, it's um, one of our most common questions in <laughs> Um, that, that we another one of those things you kind of look back on and go oh you know if we didn't call it that I don't really know what we else we would have mm. called it but um, there's, a, there's an awesome song by the name of Orange Sky by a fella whose name's Alexi Murdoch who's a British singer-songwriter and, and he talks about um, in his song Orange Sky talks about helping out your brothers and sisters and everyone standing underneath an orange sky together and you know when Nick and I were starting we really really, really like the song we like the color um, we like the name and we couldn't really think of anything else so we put it on Sudsy and, and we just went from there and and we were uh, and the other part of that is we're not politically or religiously associated so really need a name to reflect that and kind of worked out and you know it's been a um, a really good decision I think in terms of yeah. marketing experience which we had no experience in then but we kind of flicked it in, in a few different ways so it worked yeah. out quite well. And was that first – the first van when you first took it out, was it already orange when you – the first no, one? Was driving no, around in a white van looks a bit sus. Yeah, we well, – we, I mentioned at the start how we funded it all ourselves and we – there's a few purchase decisions that, that, you know, Nick and I were splitting splitting, and we um, emptied our bank accounts on. But one of them was the insurance and the second one was the um, – the vehicle wrap so we wanted to you know we're like oh if we want to give this a proper nudge we want to make it look pretty good anyway got this um this vehicle wrap done and, and the wrap actually came out a bit yellow so the first one is kind of it's you can make an argument's orange it's definitely now it's five years old and it's faded a little bit it's definitely more yellow um, <laughs> he sits in our lobby at our at our office now so he um yeah we walk past him every day and have a laugh about how, how yellow he is but he's um, the first orange guy van was was yellow that's fantastic. All right, we're getting close to the end here, but I always like to ask just one random, completely random question at the end of the interview, which is different for each person. Uh, so my one for you, Lucas, is what is one mythical creature that you wish existed in the real world? One mythical creature, though, is it's a good question. Right? There's quite a few out there. The one that first popped into mind, which I don't really know why, but I'll just say it because it did, um, is a unicorn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I reckon one is the first one that popped into my mind, so it's probably I don't 
know too many mythical creatures, but I think um, unicorns um, is a cool, like, it's not so far out of the realm of possibility in yeah. terms of the physical thing. So I'm, I'm pretty probably scientific and logical dude, so that probably works in my, my brain for that way. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's lots of, um, and not knowing too much about unicorns is probably a lot of um, <laughs> other benefits that, that they normally bring in some of their fantasy elements, which I'm sure would be cool for them to, to bring along as well. So yeah. not a very good answer, but um, we'll go with that. <laughs> and the question I always like to finish on, the show is called Loud and Seemingly Confident because that's how I once described myself. Would you, do you see yourself as a confident person? It's a good question. I think I, in my in my own way, like I'm not, I'm definitely not a loud person. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. more more introverted. I, I like to think um, myself maybe as quietly quietly confident, um, very um, quite analytical, quite um, data driven, and quite confident with um, decisions and things, but also not to the point of being stubborn or being um, mm -hmm. arrogant. I think so. Trying to strike that balance is really important important for me in both my personal sense but also from a leadership sense at, at Orange Guy as well so um, yeah maybe quietly confident yeah yeah I'd be loud awesome. if I need to yeah all right well thank you so much for being here thank you everyone for listening please subscribe and write us a review it really helps this get seen by more people you can follow me on instagram at chelsea j heaney that's h-e-a-n-e-y or you can follow the podcast at loud and seemingly confident both on instagram and facebook lucas where can they follow you We'll find uh, all about Orange Sky. Find out all, all about Orange Sky at orangesky.org.au and, and there you can find all our social links and, and whatnot as well and, and keep up to date on with all the things happening at Orange Sky. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chelsea.